Hey, good morning, Mercy family. How you doing? Yeah. All right. Um, my name is Spence. I'm one of the pastors here at Mercy. If you're new with our church, uh, welcome. We're glad to have you here. I want to tell you, it's kind of like, I know it's kickoff season. Everybody's back to school. College football's kicking off. In a lot of ways, because the rhythm of our church does kind of go along with the school year a lot, uh, there's some kind of a, a kickoff season for us as well. And I want to specifically address your attention to the next two weeks. Now, we've got a lot of ground to cover in the Bible, so I don't have a lot of time right now. So I'm about to say some things, and you're going to remember them, and then we're going to move on. All right, that's how you might need to write them down. Next weekend, we will not be in this room. We will be outside, right over there, for church on the lawn at 11 a.m. It's going to be fun. Now, people that are clapping, we're there in the spring for the first time we did that, and they're clapping because part of church on the lawn is a bunch of men and women that know how to smoke meat, smoking a lot of meat to make that whole thing happen, and it's really good. It's going to be um, a good time. Not only that, we'll have kind of a, it'll be just a little bit of worship and do some baptisms. And so if you are feeling like you need to get baptized, as you've been here in this series, or you've been kind of newer with us, think that's a step you need to take. Somebody told me at the end of last service, that's the step that she wanted to take. And so we're going to do that as a part of that. So let us know and just come down front after the service. The next weekend is September 16th. We are going to be worshiping as a part of something called for Charlotte Sunday, where about 70 different churches around the city are all doing, uh, kind of taking an effort for that one weekend to focus on how the church shows the love of Christ to the city. We're going to be worshiping at Eastway Middle School, all right? That's not here, okay? That's one of the big things I want. You are not in Eastway Middle School right now, okay? Uh, This is one of our partners. We love them. We're going to be worshiping with them. You're going to hear details at the end of the service, all right? Pastor Scott's going to give you details. I need you to hear, not in here the next two weekends, And then after that, we're back to regularly scheduled programming or whatever you want to call it. All right, good. Now let's jump into the Bible. We are going to be over and go to Judges 14. Um, If you've got your Bible, we're finishing up our series in the book of Judges today. I kind of hate that, uh, that we're at the end of it. Uh, It has been something that's been really impactful for me week in, week out. I know many of you have told me how God is using this book to really challenge your life. Um, We have definitely, though, what I'll say is we have saved the, the best or at least the wildest story in the book of Judges for last, all right? We have saved it, and today we're going to be looking at the life of Samson. Here's what you're going to see. You're going to see Samson. I have to set up the Samson story for you because some of you may come in, if you don't have any church background, still with like a, I know about Samson, he was strong, had long hair, and may not know more than that, okay? I want to set it up for you. What you're going to see is a guy, yes, with incredible strength, but his decisions that we're going to see a lot of are driven by his impulses, all right? Basically, he does whatever his raw emotions tell him to do in the heat of the moment. And some of you are like, I did not know Samson was 14. I know, that's what it's gonna seem like as we go through it. His actions, what I want you to see as you watch his impulses, doing whatever he feels like he wants to do with whomever he wants to do it, however he wants to, when you see that, I want you to be able to look underneath to see what's really driving him, and that's his pride. You're going to see that his pride drives his impulses because he believes he can do what he wants, when he wants, with whomever. And sometimes that's doing what God told him to do. Sometimes that's doing the exact opposite of what God tells him to do. It means displays of incredible strength, destroying the Philistines that are the people in, in our story today that are going to be ruling God's people. But the next, very next minute, he's sleeping with a prostitute. Why? He's following his impulses without any fear of consequence. I can do what I want, when I want, with whom I want. 
This makes Samson unpredictable and ultimately a very tragic deliverer for Israel. It also makes him a depiction of Israel, just kind of a micro shot from one man's life. If you remember week one, this was Israel's problem. Week one in our series of judges where we saw Israel just saying, I can do what I want with whom I want, whenever I want. They follow their own desires. And today we see how that plays out with just one guy. And as you watch Samson, yes, there will be moments that will be entertaining for sure. But don't be deceived because you could leave today enticed even a little bit by Samson's life. Like I'll take those really low spots because of the high spots that he gets and everything and just live by my desires. And you have a desire maybe to be like Samson, but that would be like reading the Harry Potter novels and deciding you want to be like Voldemort because, wow, he was really good at magic, right? That's the wrong, Voldemort's the bad guy for those of you that are foreign to Harry Potter, okay? Um, Listen, if you were to get that from the story, we'd call you a psycho. Samson, same thing here. His life is a big, giant warning to the destructive power of pride because pride says, I can do what I want, when I want, with whom I want, with no fear of consequences. And you're gonna see this destructive power of pride. And what I I want you to see how that damages his relationship with God. And then we'll come back around and see what can actually give you a lasting strong, hope-filled relationship with God. And we'll dive in, we'll see that more, all right? We're gonna pick up Samson's life, chapter 14. It opens with, Samson sees a Philistine girl. She's attractive to him. So he tells his parents, go get her for me as a wife. Dating was different in this day, okay? Uh, So verse three of chapter 14, this will be on the screen as well. His father and mother said to him, can't you find a young woman among your relatives or among any of our people Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines for a wife? Now, Samson's dad knows, Exodus 34, that God has prohibited interfaith marriage, okay? God is cool with interracial, intercultural marriage, always has been, always will be, because it expresses such a beautiful picture of the reconciling power of the gospel. The problem is that this woman is coming from a different belief system, and that's what God had prohibited Israel from. So Samson responds, though. He says, get her for me. She's the right one for me. Told you, he's driven by impulse and his pride is blinding him to what will be the consequences of the sin of rejecting God this way. She looks attractive to him. And so he acts. After all, Disney has told Samson his whole life to follow his heart. The problem is that's terrible advice. The heart, you hear the the heart wants what it wants. Yeah, so does my stomach, okay? That doesn't mean I sit around eating chocolate-covered bacon for every meal. No, because that is bad for me, right? The same, it sounds so good. State fair is coming. But listen, I know it's still bad for me to eat, right? Pride, though, what pride says is, no, this impulse, because I feel it, then it's good, and I'm going to do it, right? And then who cares about the consequences? There won't be any. And what we're going to see is it's gonna, that's going to lead to a lot of destruction for Samson. But first... First comes the most important verse to help you understand the Samson story. All right, so that's verse four of chapter 14. This one kind of sets everything in motion, okay? Now his father and mother didn't know that this was from the Lord who was looking to provide an opportunity for a confrontation with the Philistines because at that time, the Philistines were ruling Israel. That seem a little odd to you at first? Just think about it for just a second. Samson's rebellion against God's law is from God? What's the Bible doing here? It seems even contradictory. Let me explain because there's actually a deep hope-giving truth 
um, nestled in here, all right? Just before Samson was conceived over in chapter 13, if you want to turn there, you can. If not, I'll have the main thing I want you to see. There's an angel that appears to Samson's mom over in chapter 13 in verse 5, and she says, indeed, you will conceive and give birth to a son. You must never cut his hair. That's the one command she, he specifically gives. Because the boy will be a Nazarite to God from birth, and he will begin to save Israel from the power of the Philistines. So what's happening there is the author is telling us the end of the Samson story all the way at the beginning. He's not going to complete the job, but he's going to get started. He is going to be the next deliverer, or the way this book of the Bible uses it, the next judge. And the point is that he will begin. So what we know now is that God has a plan that he has communicated for Samson. So back to the tough question. Is God causing Samson to disobey him? No. The Lord was seeking an opportunity to pit Israel against the Philistines. Why? All right, look, you remember the cycle of sin? If you've been here at our church, we've gone through this series. We've been using this image to kind of talk about the cycle that Israel keeps going through and the cycle that we often go through in our lives. And that's the first thing that happens is we kind of forget God. Israel kept forgetting the deliverance that the Lord had given them. And so in forgetting God, the only thing that they had left was a bunch of rules that was detached from any kind of relationship with God. And so they're like, I don't need these rules anymore. That led them to disobey God, to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They start worshiping false gods, giving themselves to other things other than God. That always leads to spiritual disaster. And for Israel, that almost always means they were enslaved to a foreign nation. Now, what usually happens right there, enslaved to a foreign nation, after some time, Israel realizes, oh my goodness, the things that we thought would give us life have actually now enslaved us and we are subject to them, which is true of us, happens so often, right? But then what they almost always do, actually what they always do, with the exception of this story, is they cry out, Lord, we realize that we are now helpless. That's that state of helplessness we've talked about. We're now helpless. God, please deliver us. And then God sends a deliverer. The problem is Israel never cries out to God in the story. Israel has gotten to the point where they are enslaved by a foreign power and they're just comfortable with it. They're peacefully coexisting with the Philistines that God told them they should never be enslaved to. Their children are beginning to marry Philistine children and the people of Israel, watch this, they're facing annihilation through assimilation. And this is the subtle but far more destructive way sin works in our lives. It does just enough to make us feel comfortable with it. We say things like, I know this isn't the best thing for me, but it's not that big of a deal. And right there, it's not that big of a deal. Right there, after you've been round and round with that sin, you've seen some little bit of victories, but not that much. And you find yourself, you're backing it again and again and again. And you're like, you know what? I'm done fighting. This is just a part of a part of me now. That, that spot right there, that's just a part of me now. I'm done fighting. It's just who I, that right there is where your heart starts to harden to the Lord. Listen, if, if one of my kids walks up to me, say one of my boys walks up and his foot is turning green because he's got some nasty gangrene because he never showers, you know, something like that. So his foot's turning green. And he says to me, hey, dad, I just want to let you know I have a green foot now. It's no big deal. You know, I don't even feel my foot anymore. So it's not like it's that big of a, a problem anymore. And what, am I going to respond to him? Oh, cool, bud. One less thing to worry about. No, I'm going to take that kid to the hospital immediately because he doesn't realize that the thing he's becoming comfortable with is actually killing him. The enemy, y'all, is far more likely to slowly erode your walk with God 
than he is to try and abruptly destroy it in one fell swoop. That's what's happened to Israel here. But God is not, listen, this is a great example of God's character. This will talk about that deep hope that's nestled in here, that God refuses to leave his people to just go to waste and die in their sin. He did not bring Israel up out of Egypt so that they could become Philistines. He brought them up so that they would worship him. So if they're not going to cry out for deliverance, he's going to stir up some trouble for them. So what does he do? He sends a hothead with biceps, and he's going to create some friction between God's people and the Philistines. Let me ask you a question. Some of y'all, has God ever done that kind of thing in your life? Has he ever used trouble to wake you up to your need for him? And we were talking about this over the course of the, uh, the week leading up to today. And our staff, we're talking, a couple of our staff gave me permission to tell you. I mean, they were, a couple of our staff said they were drug users before they were believers. And it was through getting wrecked by the consequences of drug use that God brought them to himself. And they got exposed and everything kind of fell apart. That was the moment that God used to turn them back towards himself. Listen, when God disrupts your life like that, and it might be through destruction sometimes, destruction of your own making even. What I want you to see is when he brings you to that point, that's his grace. He's waking you up from complacency in your sin, and that complacency is what will destroy you. The rest of the Samson story, the rest of the story, now you kind of see what the, the setting is, what the scenario is, God trying to wake Israel up. The rest of the story is a series of bizarre episodes in Samson's life where God uses this impulsive, wild Samson to start a war between Israel and the Philistines. So I'm going to walk you through these episodes, okay? You can think of it as battles in a war. I'm going to call them episodes to help you kind of see this whole story unfold. There are going to be five unfold. There are going to be five episodes in Samson versus the Philistines, all right? And we're going to go pretty fast. We're going to cover a lot of ground, and then I'm going to show you what they mean. All right, episode one. We're going to call this one Samson's Engagement Party, all right? So Samson is engaged to that Philistine woman that he was looking at. He shouldn't be engaged in the first place to her. We know that. Well, he decides for his engagement party, he's going to throw a killer wine and cheese party. So he goes out to the vineyards, get some grapes, start the whole process. And out in the vineyard, a lion, a lion attacks this guy. And what comes next is one of the greatest verses in the Bible. Verse six, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully on him and he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. But he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. Now, I cannot find a satisfying answer anywhere to where the phrase, as one tears a young goat, <laughs> what that means. I've been to one goat festival in northern China, and it was not like a bunch of little kids sitting around tearing goats. I don't know, it's not like ancient Israel Friday night or whatever, but here's what happens. A few days later, this lion carcass now lying on the side of the road few days later, he's walking by that lion carcass, and he notices that it has a beehive now in it that has generated some honey. So he goes over to this lion carcass, scoops out the honey, and eats it. And then scoops out some more, takes it back to mom and dad. Now, I don't know how he delivered it. Mason jar, if he just went like, here. Like, I don't know what he did. And they eat it. Now, the problem is, and what you got to see is why this matters. Why is the author telling us this? This is against his Nazarite vow that says, if you touch a dead carcass, that will defile you and you will no longer be set apart for service to the Lord like you're supposed to be. 
So he gives it to his parents, defiling them. Y'all, what I want you to see is this is bold, open sin. Spirit of the Lord with him one moment, sinning hard against the Lord the next moment. Let me give you a little pastoral aside, if you will. When you are driven by impulses and, and you're a Christian, sometimes your faith can look hot and cold like this. See, you'll get really hyped up, fired up about God one minute. Maybe it's in here. Maybe you're worshiping, going crazy, and maybe you're giving, some, you're giving a lot of your time, energy, whatever else, one minute. But then you can go hard into your sin the next minute. That's because, listen to me, it's probably pride and not the spirit of the Lord that's driving you. And so it feels good to worship, and so you worship. Then it feels good to sin, and so you sin. Because you're ultimately serving yourself, right, and not submitted to what the Lord would have for you. Listen, we're, we're, that'll end up coming back around. Let me go back to the engagement party. Samson thinks up a riddle to entertain his guests, naturally. I know you did that at yours too. And so he says there were 30 Philistine men that were gathered around him. And he says to these 30 men, listen, if you can figure out this riddle, I'll give you each a suit, a suit of clothes. But if you can't, you got to each give me a suit of clothes. So he wind, would wind up with 30. Well, they can't figure out the riddle. So they asked Samson's fiance, since, you know, she's one of them, like, hey, go get this out of him. And eventually Samson gives in to her. And so not surprisingly, she goes and tells them they come back, solve the riddle. Then Samson looks at these guys and knowing how he got the answer Another great line from Scripture, Judges 14, 18. If you hadn't plowed with my young cow, you wouldn't know my riddle now. Let me give you another pastoral side. Men, never call your girl a cow, okay? This is like how to not, don't be like Samson, right? Um, so Samson's got to pay up, though. Here's what he knows. He's got to pay up. So what does he do? Verse 19, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. He went down to Ashkelon and killed 30 of their men. Then he stripped them, gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. In a rage, Samson returned to his father's house. So you won the bet your way, I'm going to pay up my way. Next thing you know, they're holding 30 bloody coats that are missing some arms. That's episode one. Now, what's the point? Remember the bigger picture. Ashkelon is a Philistine city. Samson has just killed 30 of their men. God is using Samson to create a rift between Israel and the Philistines. Let's go to episode two. We'll call this the 300 burning foxes. All right, that'll be how we call episode two. You'll see why. Samson cools off, spent at his dad's house, and sometime later he returns to finally marry his fiance, the Philistine woman. Well, his fiance's dad informs him, I thought you hated her, so I gave her to one of the other guys. And then try, recognizing that it's Samson and worried about, you know, being killed, he says, listen, take her younger sister instead. She's more beautiful anyway. Nice try, dude. But Samson is too proud for that. He's been humiliated, and so Samson starts seeing red again. And he goes on a rampage. Look at verses 4 and 5 of chapter 15. He went out, and he caught 300 foxes. He took torches, turned the foxes tail to tail, and put a torch between each pair of tails. Okay, let me pause for a second. I know what you're thinking. Some of you in here are skeptics. You're not Christians, and this is part of the reason you go, I can't believe, maybe even you Christians, like, I've never seen 300 foxes, right? How in the world did he catch the foxes? How did he tie them together? Like, was he holding these two while these 298, you know, were like, how does this all work? I don't. I want to I want to say something to you if you're a skeptic, if you're struggling with believing the historicity of the Bible. Let me ask you first to make the main thing the main thing, 
It's a lot easier to believe that a guy managed to corral 300 foxes than it is to believe that a dead guy came back to life. All right? So at least if you're skeptical about the historicity of the Bible, start with Jesus's death and resurrection. And if you can believe that, then everything else you believe because Christ is the one who says, this is my word, right? And so you believe this word gives life. So start with the death and resurrection of Christ and then go on from there. And don't make things that are improbable, outright impossible. You have a tough time with them. Don't let that distract you from the whole point of the Bible, which is to talk to you about Jesus. And if there's more things beyond that, we can talk through some more the reason you can rely on this stuff. But I want to make sure you start with the death and resurrection of Christ. Anyways, all right, verse five. He ignited the torches, released the foxes into the standing grain of the Philistines. He burned the piles of grain and the standing grain as well as the vineyards and the olive groves. I mean, y'all, this is vindictive and very creative, right? In addition to killing 30 Philistines in episode one, now he's destroyed their crops, which is kind of the same as just setting fire to all their money, right? Imagine, I mean, just imagine 150 fires bouncing through the amber waves of grain, just lighting this whole place on, uh, on fire Well, the Philistines are mad. So then they retaliate. If he's going to burn our fields, their retaliation is to burn Samson's fiance and her dad. And so they burn them at the stake and kill them, which makes Samson mad. Y'all, here's what I started thinking about when I got about right here in the story. I started thinking about the first time me and my brother got into like a fist fight. You know what I mean? It's like young teenagers where he punched me in the arm and then I like punched him in the chest. And we had that moment where we were both standing there it was a combination of I'm really mad and I'm a little scared. Like, are we about to do this? Like, it's about to go down. We're going to start exchanging real blows like this. That's kind of like the feeling of this moment is now Israel, God's creating this rift and now they're just about to go after it one against the other, right? So it's, it's Samson's turn. And so verse seven, Samson told them, because you did this, killed my fiance and her dad, I swear that I won't rest until I've taken vengeance on you. So he tore them limb from limb and then went down and stayed at the cave at the Rock of Edom. Well, not surprisingly, the Philistines are upset with a number of missing limbs that they now have on their hands. That leads us to episode three. All right, episode two done. Episode three is Jawbone Hill. So we're going to call that one. All right. So the Philistines went up, camped in Judah, and raided Lehi. Now, Judah, Lehi, this is Samson's home turf, all right? This is Israel. Israel, Samson's an Israelite, right? So the men of Judah said to the Philistines, why have you attacked us? And they replied, well, we've come to tie Samson up and pay him back for what he did to us. (laughs) Verse 11, then 3,000 men of Judah, Samson's brothers, because ain't nobody going alone to see Samson, went to the cave at the Rock of Edom, and they asked Samson, listen to this, don't you realize that the Philistines rule us you catch that? I want you to see that. That's what they chose to ask Samson. What have you done to us? They're uncomfortable. They're scared at the idea of going to war against the more powerful Philistines. And y'all, this is so many of us Christians. We are complacent in our sin. And we're scared of what it would look like if we had to get out of it, scared of the destruction that it would cause our lives to expose that sin and to trust that God will deliver us. And God's grace sometimes takes the form of a wrecking ball coming through our life to shatter the status quo. So Samson says, I've done to them what they did to me. In other words, they started it. Verse 12, these Israelites say to him, 
we've come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. Well, Samson told them, listen, swear to me that you yourselves won't kill me. No, they said, we won't kill you, but we'll tie you up securely and hand you over to them. So they tied him up with two new ropes and led him away from the rock. You get, you get what's happening. They would rather betray the rescuer that God has sent them than give up the compromise that they made with their sin. Do you see that? Do you see us? You see yourself in that space? They would rather betray their rescuer than give up the compromised place that they have landed in with their sin. Verse 14, when, when he came to Lehi, the Philistines came to meet him, shouting, they were mad. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully on him and the ropes that were on his arms and wrists became like burnt flax and fell off. So then now freed up, he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, reached out his hand, took it, and killed a thousand men with it. And then watch what Samson says. This is big. Samson writes what's in it. It's actually more of a song, the way it's written, more than it is even just like a statement he made. With the jawbone of a donkey, I have piled them in heaps. With the jawbone of a donkey, I killed a thousand men. It's an arrogant song all about Samson. Do you see the cycle that Israel went through, see them, it's kind of showing up in Samson's life. It's all about him and what he can do and not, he totally forgets, doesn't even acknowledge the spirit of the Lord has rushed upon him. It's all about Samson. So then he drops the jawbone, kind of like Mike drop, and he goes to hydrate. Really, that's the way the chapter ends in chapter 15. That's the way that we get a pause now with this arrogant Samson who's just created this, you know, mass destruction of these Philistines. And then we get a pause for 20 years. 20 years later, episode four. All right, here comes episode four. We're gonna call this one Deceived by Delilah. Maybe you've heard of Delilah before in this story. It's 20 years, and what becomes evident right out of the gate, our boy Samson has not changed a bit. He's still brash. He's still arrogant. He's still driven by his impulses. And listen to me, things are actually getting worse. His sin is getting more aggressive, more bold, in nature, because of what happens. There's no such thing as being idle in your faith with the Lord. You're either growing towards him or you're running harder and harder away from him. And we see that in uh, chapter 16, verse one. Samson went down to Gaza where he saw a prostitute and went to bed with her. That's it. Like the author just throws that in there to show you how bad Samson has gotten. It's impulse. That's not Delilah. It's this just a random prostitute because this is pride underneath the impulse, remember? Pride saying that what I do doesn't really matter, doesn't have consequences. I'm not gonna get any trouble for it, so I'm doing it. A few verses later, he meets Delilah, another Philistine woman, and he continues his rebellion against God, takes her as his wife. Well, the Philistine leaders go to her, of course, and say, persuade him to tell you where his great strength comes from so that we can overpower him, tie him up, and make him helpless. Each of us will then give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Now, you might know the story that follows. It's a pretty famous one in Scripture. Samson knows what's going on. He knows that she's a spy, but he likes flirting with the possible self-destruction that would ensue. He likes flirting with it because he thinks that he's strong enough on his own to always get out of it and to always escape the Philistines. So then what you get are three nights together where she tries to convince him to tell her the secret to his strength. And each time he tells her a lie, doesn't tell her the truth, tells her a lie. She believes him. She goes, tells the Philistines, they come to attack him. She says, 
Samson, the Philistines are here, right? And then he gets up, breaks free, and takes care of business. But then the fourth time, the Bible says she nagged him until he told her the truth. Basically, Samson was just kind of lazy. He's like, you know what? Oh, I'm so exhausted from you asking me so many times. Sure. And he tells her that if his hair is cut off, he'll lose his strength. So she shaves his head when he's sleeping. And then we're about to see what happens. And you might be thinking, why would this be the big thing? And the one thing I can think is this is the one moment, man, where the Lord very specifically said, don't cut his hair. But maybe the more important thing here is he had gotten so comfortable, so comfortable running from God, disobeying God with such ease. And then he never realized, you're gonna see in a second, he never realized when he had gone too far and the Lord had just given him over, like Romans 1 says, just given him over to his impulses and let him have his sin. We're gonna see what that destruction causes in just a minute. This is verses 19 and 20. In this way, Delilah makes him helpless. His strength left him. And she cried, Samson, the Philistines are here. When he awoke from his sleep, he said, well, I'll escape just like I did before and shake myself free. But he didn't know that the, he, look, he did not know that the Lord had left him. He didn't know. And that right there is how sin works. Right now, you're just flirting with it. But one day you're gonna wake up and your life is gonna be a picture of self-destruction. And you're gonna say to yourself, how did I get here? This is what sin does. It blinds you to its danger. And then left unchecked, it grabs hold of your life, seizes you, and destroys you. So the Philistines seize him. They gouge out his eyes. They parade him in front of everyone as a symbol of victory over Israel. In fact, they even say, our God, Dagon, has delivered Samson into our hands. In essence, we've beaten Israel. But the whole time, they didn't notice because of their arrogance that Samson's hair was starting to regrow. And that brings us to episode five, our final episode, which we're gonna call Everybody Dies. Because that's what happens, okay? The Philistines throw a huge celebratory feast and Samson is their prize on display. Look at 1625. When they were in good spirits, they said, bring Samson here to entertain us. So they brought Samson from prison and he entertained them. He's just standing there between these two pillars, right in the middle of the whole room. About 3,000 Philistines are there, including all of their leaders. Samson is humiliated in this moment more than he ever has been in his life. And so finally, finally, y'all, Samson cries out. Remember our cycle of sin? Finally, Samson realizes that he is in a disaster that he cannot get himself out of. And so finally, he cries out to the Lord in helplessness. And that's the, remember, Samson is a picture of Israel, just writ small on one man's life. He realizes that the Lord was the source of his strength all along. So verse 28, he calls out to the Lord, Lord God, please remember me. Strengthen me just once more. With one act of vengeance, let me pay back the Philistines for my two eyes. So he took hold of the two middle pillars supporting the temple, leaned against them, one on his right hand, one on his left. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. He pushed with all his might and the temple fell on the leaders and all the people in it. And look at this, this very intentional that the author gives us this detail. Those he killed at his death were more than those that he had killed in his life. What a life. I wanna take the last few minutes that we have 
and I want to show you what I believe are not only the three takeaways from Samson's life, but I think as we look at the book of Judges and how Samson represents Israel and what we're to learn from this, the three takeaways really from the whole book of Judges. But here's three takeaways from Samson's life. Here's the first one. Our pride blinds us to the dangers of sin. Samson's pride fooled him. He thought he could do anything, and for a while he did, didn't he? He got comfortable flirting with sin because whenever he needed, he could just escape. And listen to me, the spirit of the Lord, every time Samson does a feat of strength, the spirit of the Lord rushes on him. The spirit of the Lord was kind enough to let him get out of trouble time and again. But y'all, what we saw in this story was that Samson never gave God glory for what he did. He sings a song about how Samson destroys thousands, not the Lord. And he continued to treat life like a game without consequences, totally unaware that his pride was corroding his soul from the inside out. Y'all, that's one of the most dangerous ways the enemy attacks you. You flirt with sin that you know you shouldn't be anywhere near, but you think like Samson, ah, if it gets bad, I'll just rise up and I'll, get, I'll figure out a way out of this. And one of the ways, if you're wondering like, how does pride do that? How do I, how can I see if pride is blinding me right now? Because how do you know if you're blind to it? Here's one of the ways you know that you're starting to be blind to the dangers of sin is that you're starting to be really casual with God's commands. You catch that? I can't stress this enough. Samson was set apart to be a Nazarite. That's one who's set apart specifically for the ministry um, of the Lord. Remember how the angel visited his mother? He was never supposed to touch alcohol, never a dead carcass, and never cut his hair. By the end of chapter 14, he's throwing a kegger after eating honey out of a dead animal. Y'all, what happens is he has gotten casual with God's commands, and he got away with it a few times, he thinks. So he starts to think it's no big deal. All the while, the enemy's luring him in for the kill. Sure, Delilah, cut my hair. I mean, after all, nothing's really happened up to this point when I disobey the other commands. Must not be a big deal. Listen, I see this casualness all over the place in the church. According to a recent study, 11%, 11% of Christian singles are waiting until marriage to have sex. 11%, even though that's a clear command of scripture. Why? Because you've been lured by the lie, maybe from some other things, that it's not that big of a deal. And all the while, your relationship with God is corroding from the inside out. And y'all, if I sound too dramatic when I talk about that, that's exactly what the enemy wants it to sound like, that it's not really that big of a deal. Y'all, in 2018, this year, I've watched Christians that I know get completely destroyed by this very thing. Their life is a wreck by this very process of just, for a long time, we go back and we realize for a long time, in little things, they've been compromising, kind of doing their own thing, little thing after little thing, then all of a sudden their lives are destroyed and they wonder how they got there. And it's because they were blind to their own pride and to be casual with God's commands. Maybe God has you here today for a wake-up call. Praise God if he does. Actually leads me to the next takeaway from Samson's life and the next takeaway from Judges. Listen, it is never too late to return to God. It is never too late to return to God. Chapter 16, verse 22. You might need to underline that because that might need to be a little flickering light of hope for you right now. Some of you found yourselves in that deep, darkness. And listen, when Samson 
was at his lowest. God had not forgotten him. In fact, you catch how the story goes, before Samson even knew it, God was already working on him again. You see, Samson's hair, in the story, it represents God's presence with him. That's where his strength came from, the presence, the spirit of the Lord on him, God's presence with him. And while Samson was lying defeated in prison, the Lord was already stirring again. That's how God works. Before you ever realize it, God is already working on you. Christian, there is a promise to you that when you are running your hardest against the Lord, he's still with you. He's not gone away from you, waiting for you to clean yourself up so that you can finally come back to him and he will approve of you once you clean yourself up. No, they're in that dark. Some of you have sabotaged your lives so much right now. You're finally sitting in the raw ugliness of the destruction that your sin has caused. I want you to know God's not done with you. He's not done with you. He's not far away from you. He's not wondering when you'll finally come back. No, he still wants you. You don't deserve him, but he's not done with you. And like Samson, you gotta get on your knees and pray, sovereign Lord, remember me. God, I know I'm a sinner. I know, I know what I'm owed for that sin. But you say you'll remember and you will save even a wretch like me. Samson's, you catch this? This is why that author gave us that last line about he killed more in his death than he did in his life. It's because the author wants to show us, and I think God wants to show us, that Samson's greatest moment of strength came at his greatest moment of weakness. You see that? He finally surrendered himself to God, and God used his weakness, not his strength, his weakness to deliver Israel from the Philistines. Y'all, this has become like one of our running themes through the book of Judges. So let me bring it back to you. Your weakness before God, that is your greatest strength. Are you ready to finally own your self-destruction, to admit you've messed up and you need help? That when you are ready for God, finally, then that's when you're ready for God to do his best work in your life. When you're at that spot, have you betrayed a friend? You're not too late to cry out to God. Have you cheated on your spouse? You are, it is not too late for you to cry out to God. You screw up your job and you get fired, it's not too late. Is your addiction right now destroying your family? It's not too late. Is your anger burning bridges with people that you love? It's not too late. God wants you, God loves you, and God has the power to restore you. When you are at your darkest, lowest moment, God has not forgotten you. He wants to use this moment to draw you back to himself. So repent and come home to a loving father whose arms are outstretched. Some of you need to repent of your pride. You need to repent of the casual way you treat God. You need to repent of your self-gratification. And God, God is there. God is with you and ready to bring you home. Which brings us to the biggest point of the Samson story and the biggest point, the whole point of the book of Judges. You ready? So our last point today. Like Israel, we need a better Savior. What an odd Savior Samson is, isn't he? Sometimes you read the Bible and you find ways to say, hey, man, you need to be like, like this hero. When it comes to Samson, no. <laughs> nope. He's just the worst. He, I mean, he's Israel's Savior, but he himself has to go through this cycle of sin that he's supposed to be saving them from. He was a flawed deliverer that couldn't save Israel from his oppressors. In fact, 
God said right at the outset, the only thing he's going to be able to do was begin to save them. But then 1,100 years later, Jesus shows up. And like Samson, his mom was visited by an angel and his birth was miraculous. Like Samson, he has strength, power over demons, over sickness, over wind and waves, over death itself. Like Samson, he was betrayed by those closest to him. Like Samson, he was imprisoned, beaten, and mocked. And like Samson, he dies with his arms outstretched. But his story doesn't end there. See, Jesus' story doesn't end in death. It ends in Jesus rising up from the grave and defeating death itself. Jesus wasn't in chain for his sins. He was in chains for our sins. He was the strong man who voluntarily put himself in our place. Because like Samson, we are proud. We are driven by our desires. We are casual with God's commands. We stand before God, guilty, deserving punishment. But Jesus comes in, he takes the chains off of us, and he puts them on himself. That's the better Savior. Do you know the love of God like that? See, when you see that Jesus came all the way down, even to you, and even to me, messed up people that we are, when we had no way out of the punishment that we rightfully owed, or were rightfully owed, when you see that, that he came to do that, so you and I could walk away free, man, that changes you. First Corinthians 6 says, you and I, we were bought with a price. With a price, that price, y'all, let's be really clear. <laughs> the price was Jesus dying in your place. When you make your home in the gospel, that he died the death you deserved, oh, you'll begin to live a life that is not, so what happened with Israel, they forgot God. They forgot his love. That's what started everything, the spiritual amnesia. They forgot his love for them. And all that they were left with was rules, and they got tired of obeying the rules. When you remember the gospel, when you make your home, John 15 says, abide in the gospel, make your home in it, man, then you won't forget because you'll have such a, a joyful moment of worship with the Lord who saved you, with God your Father. And instead of just a bunch of rules, no, no, these will be life-giving instructions that will draw you back to the one that loves you so much, not just empty religion that you'll soon forget. Let me close by giving you a chance to respond to this. We you bow your head, close your eyes, let's finish this in a posture of prayer. Make this pretty simple. If you're a Christian, I want you to take a second and maybe allow the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to work on your heart, work on your mind. What have you been casual with about when it comes to when it comes to God, when it comes to your Lord? What have you been casual with about your faith? What sin have you just allowed to be in and say, you know, it's just a part of my life? I'm... Would you turn away from that and back to Him now? In your own words. Lord, I am remembering the God who saved me. I'm choosing to worship him today. 